We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. What's a Time to fully analyze and break down a dispiriting and disappointing loss in the North London Derby that has Arsenal fans feeling cross. This is the Arsenal Vision Post-Match Podcast. My name is Alex Smith. You can me on Twitter, Yankee Gunner. Are you feeling cross? Well, that's good because I've just heard that Arsenal put in another cross at White Hart Lane today, so, or the Toilet Bowl, whatever it is, wherever they play. Um, look, it's not a fun game to discuss, but a problem shared is a problem we can all fight with each other on the internet about. Or a problem halved. I've heard it both ways. And so we're here to do that and tell you how to shave your private. So there's lots of good stuff that's going to happen as we turn our attention towards a festive period. Why do they call it the festive period? It's usually a terrible period for our football. Um, and, and I would say that the outlook is bleak. I'm going to introduce the people who are here to discuss it with me, but I will let you know that if you want the unfiltered, unfettered emotional response, we have that on our Patreon Instant Reaction. If you just want the somewhat filtered, uh, somewhat less emotional, but still very disappointed response. You can just stick around here. Paul's on Twitter. Pause my pants. I'll pause. Woo-hoo. Clive's on Twitter. Clive PFC. Hello, Clive. Hello, hello. Clive, most interesting, uh, sorry, important question for you. You ready for this one, Clive? Clive? Mm-hmm. Which yes. half do you want to rewatch? <laughs> <laughs> we gotta, we gotta actually do a rewatch pod. Oh God, I'm just kidding. We'll, we'll think about that another time when we have um, something spiking our drinks. Tim's on Twitter. So, but hello, Tim. Hello there. Hello there, indeed. Okay, uh, quite a game to break down. And and Clive, I'll actually start with you because you know I think we felt that. Arteta had the perfect opportunity in this game to fall back to what worked, to fall back to the cup final run approach. Um, that while goal scoring and chance creation has been a problem for us this season, 
he didn't have to focus on that this game. That, you know, there was a chance that if we went at them, it would play into Jose Mourinho's hands. I mean, just to put it in perspective, in their last three wins combined, I don't think Spurs have two expected goals. In their last three wins combined. Um, I, I think Scott, on our analytics pod, uh, did a really good job breaking down just how little they create. So, you know, we could have... We could have sort of fought fire with fire and sat back and played more of that that strategy from the cup final run. I was somewhat surprised that he didn't do that. And uh, it will become the narrative how he got broken down defensively uh, later in the pod. But are you surprised that he didn't do that? Would you have preferred to have seen that approach? I'm not massively surprised. I think he's, he's, he's playing the scoreboard now, mate. And he's now feeling the pressure a little bit. And... He knew just because of the Leicester game, the Wolves game, the Leeds game, the Villa game, can't that many, <laughs> that he, he needed a win. And so he went out for a win and, and Jose is sitting there behind <laughs> behind his desk with his with his white cat on his lap going, <laughs> they need a win. I know what I'm going to do. I'm going to watch those idiots overpress, push their fullbacks on, and I'm going to take him on the break. On the break. And we all knew that, didn't we? We all knew the fear. I mean, I say we, I mean the collective we, and absolutely every single listener knew the danger was we could overcommit and we could be caught on the break. Simple as that. And guess what we did? <laughs> we overcommitted <laughs> and we got caught on the break. And uh, we spoke about it beforehand. We thought, well, maybe we'll just have one extra player back there just to help secure us and maybe discourage them. But we didn't. We sort of went for it and... And uh, yeah, it's a it's, it's a strange thing. I watched sat this game down. What's that down? My son to watch this game. Really excited, really nervous. Get me a glass of wine. Sit down. Bang! Kick off. We kick it out of play. I'm thinking bloody hell. Oh, oh here we go. You know what I mean? And it just felt. It just feels like sometimes watching this team that I feel an effort to try to to be you know, to, to make things better. But I just look at our quality and I just have these like real pangs of concern and so i elliot if we spoke about this yesterday didn't we that best arsenal we've seen in 2020 have been the big space arsenal through the thirds out from the back progressing zigzag up the pitch and having space for our strikers to run into because that's what suits them and we've turned away from that because we weren't really creating a lot of shots but for me in this game what we needed to do was just not lose Mm. Forget the forget the scoreboard pressure. Just stop the rot. Just don't care. Don't play them. Boring game. Don't lose. But we we couldn't. We we're a bit naive and we went for it. Yeah, I mean, and and the hard part is, and we'll probably come on to this, is that if you squint, I think you saw some really good football there, and then you have to sort of break down and dissect what is good football. I I think that it will be easy to fall into the discussion about how we got caught on the counter. Um, but Spurs created very little. I still think the story for Arsenal in this moment that we're going to have to address is what's happening at the attacking end. Because if all Spurs had done was score one Sun wonder goal um, and never had the second goal and never had another chance... We didn't score a goal. And when you don't score a goal, and when you don't even produce, you know, half an expected goal, whatever it is, more, you know, three quarters of an expected goal, like it is, it is hard to say you deserve anything from the game. Uh, and, and you're relying on variance to carry you because you get hit with a wonder goal like Suns and you've lost because you can't, you can't match it. You can't score. Um, but before we get to that, Tim, I, I want to talk about the party thing. I think it becomes one of the huge talking points of the game. 
And so we can backtrack to some of the moments in the game, but let's talk about Thomas Party. There's really three components to break down here, I think. The decision to start him and what it says about the pressure Arteta's under and your feeling on whether he deserves blame for that or how you approach borderline decisions like this to rush players back. Two, the way the player reacts to being injured in the moment, walking off the pitch. It's it's not really something that I've I've seen before that I can think of. And then three, the way Arteta reacts to that with the pushing him back on, with the comments after the match. So I know that's a lot to cover, and, and we may want to all get involved mm-hmm. in this conversation because I realize this this is a big thing, so it's not just something that one of us should, should get to handle alone. I, I don't want you to feel the pressure of this on your own, Tim. But it, <laughs> with respect to those three components of this really critical story, the, the decision to play him, the way he reacts to getting injured, and then the manager's reaction to the to the injury, uh, what's your take on on that um, massive yeah, moment sure. this day? Yeah. Yeah, sure. So so playing him, of course, it's a sign of desperation. All the other midfielders are fit. You know, there's nothing wrong. Well, there's nothing wrong in injury terms. The Xhaka, Sabayos, or Elneny, they're all fit. Um, Joe Willock as well, all fit. Um, so, of, of course, it's a move of desperation. Um, I was still happy to see him start um, because I know how shit our midfield is as, as well as Mikel Arteta does. Um, but you know, you, you, I'm happy about it, but I've got no idea what his condition is. I'm not with him on the training ground. I must admit I was worried. Um, when, you know, when was the first time he trained was Friday, usually, unless you're an absolutely like, you know, like Thierry Henry, Invincibles era. Yeah. One training session. Yeah. You're playing cause you're Thierry Henry. That's fine for party to be this important to us when he's played for us all of what twice. Um, yes, that, that has alarm bells, but to, but to be honest, that's all stuff we know, right? We know our midfield's not good enough and he's been brought in to, you know, to be, to be a massive uptick, but yep, it's, it's absolutely, it's a move of desperation. Um, I, I understand it. I mean, you can say that desperation is justified in this scenario, but yes, maybe that's, um, that's a bit of an experience as well. Um, showing from Arteta as for, um, his, his, uh, you know, party's reaction to getting injured. I, I, so I think in fairness, when he first goes over Arsenal are on what looks like quite a promising attack. Um, so I, I guess in that context, you know, and, and does he go over to go off or does he go over to say, well, Teta, look, I, I'm, I'm fucked. I can't carry on. Like mm-hmm. I, I'm not entirely clear on that. And then of course, Tottenham break and, you know, perhaps, uh, my, perhaps if he wasn't so new, um, he would have felt a bit more confident, confident or comfortable communicating to his other players, like saying, look, I've, I've got a problem here. Someone needs to drop in because on one hand, Jack is really far forward, um, which, which I don't understand anyway, because what the fuck is Granite Xhaka going to do in the final third? <laughs> like other than like larrop the ball out of the stadium, like, <laughs> like don't go there. Like there is no, like there is no need for you to go there. Like I, I, I want more goals from our midfield and I want a runner from midfield. I don't want it to be Granite Xhaka. Um, particularly when they've got a player like Harry Kane who does what he does dropping off into that space. But anyway, and, and, and I guess you've got to like take into account the disappointment of the player, the pain he might've been feeling, but like, honestly sit down, like sit the fuck down on the pitch, um, you know, or, or at least don't let the opposition know that you are injured and that might, at least, you know, I, I'm not expecting him to go and sprint after Sun and Harry Kane once the move like goes down there. But perhaps if he's standing there not letting on that he's injured, they don't go down that side. I don't know. Um, they probably do. But 
But I, I felt like really what he should have done was just sat down and said someone kicked the ball out of play, and then you know, it it, it might have unfolded. It might have it might have unfolded the same. Spurs probably would have just played on anyway because it's a Mourinho team. But I, you know, mm. he 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 should have done something like that. As for Arteta, kind of pushing him back on again, like this is a guy that's feeling the pressure really. Um, and it was another. I guess act of desperation. I, you know, I don't, I don't think it's like the crime of the century. I think it's just he sees, oh shit! Like I can see exactly where this is going. Like, quick, get back on, get back on, and mm-hmm. you know, it's 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 only a a semi-conscious decision, um, I think. But all put together, yes, it shows us um, it shows us what we already knew that we're in trouble, um, and the manager doesn't really know what to do about it. Yeah, I mean, I. Sometimes I wish Arteta could just practice the quote, you know, we've discussed it behind the scenes, you know, it's it's being taken care of or something. You, you know what, like, I wish he could practice. Yep. You know, we, we complained about Arsene Wenger's quotes always being milk toast and not giving anything away, but there's something to be said for that. And, like, the way he spoke about the party incident after the match, combined with the way he spoke about the Pepe incident after that match, like, in both instances, I feel mad at the player. I'm a fan. I can go on Twitter and rant like crazy if I want. He's the coach, and I think he has to keep it a little closer to his vest. And I I, I think the way he laid into Pepe, um, although Pepe seemed to take it okay with his comments, but who knows what he's really feeling. And the way he, I think, sort of maybe was a little too open about his frustration with party in that moment um he put it out there didn't he he did he, he really did and i just you know look that's not the st- we wouldn't be micro analyzing that in the absence of other issues but with other issues you don't need that and given that his man management situations now i think are going to come under the microscope that's going to be part of it i fully agree though what is party doing he, he's as experienced as they come he's played in a team that was known for its caginess and its cleverness and its its intelligence and, and you know has been to champions league finals and won la ligas and he's just walking off the pitch there i wonder if there's just a sense of you rushed me back and now i'm fucked again like I, you know disappointment I, I don't think it helps arteta to come out with comments that are frustrated with the player when he's put him in the line of fire unnecessarily I, I think that weighs into this too um paul i, I don't want to cut you out of this conversation because i think it's an important one so i mean y- you talked a bit about it with arteta being your stock down in the instant reaction pod for this very decision the choice to rush him back seems wrong what i will say is like you have to look at the context of a season right paul so if this is early april and there's an international break coming up and you're already out of the Europa League and you're playing once a week and you've got this game and then three weeks till your next one or one thing. You say, you know what? If he re-injures, I get 21 days till we play again. But like, you've got the busiest period of the entire season coming up and you probably have to let discretion be the better part of valor here. So what are your thoughts on this really critical moment in the game? And I mean, it is a shame because while... You know, I don't think he was locking us down defensively. And while we were already trailing at that point, you know, we had that Vieira-esque carry through the, the center of the pitch. He'd been punching the ball forward the most. He'd been really the one who looked like he could deliver the ball in the dangerous areas with the right tempo. So it was a big loss when he went down. But how do you how do you react to the way this whole situation was handled? Um, I guess it it's just more evidence that I think Arteta's rattled at the moment. Um like strategically, we should have played the KG game in this game overall. We should have 
sat back and seen and asked Tottenham to do something they're not they haven't demonstrated they can do yet, which is take the game to somebody else at home. And why didn't we make it their problem? Why didn't we keep it compact? And if we sat back and kept it compact, we've had lots of good performances over the last six months without party. We wouldn't have needed to play party. Um, he's definitely an asset. He's definitely the probably the most significant player uh, in terms of Arteta's potential and future to turn this thing around. But, uh, you know, if he's... Arteta had said leading up to this that he, the guy probably wasn't ready, that they'd see how he did, that Partey himself was the guy who was pushing to try and get around the doctors and the physios to play. I mean, red flag all over the place, but but certainly it wasn't... Party wasn't been forced onto the pitch, ironically, just in the game after he got injured. Um, so, like, he wanted to be there, but who cares? Like, Arteta, this is this is game, set, and match. So, you know, don't crock the most important player uh, who can make a difference uh, to your season. So I thought that was a, a massive cock-up before the game started. Um, I mean, when I saw him in the lineup, I thought, I hope he knows what he's doing. Mm. Um, now, like, my only hope with that party coming off to the sideline was him coming coming over to say, listen, I'm feeling it. It's it's not gone yet, but I'm feeling it. What should we do, boss? Um, I wonder if he wanted a, a confab to, to get he, his thinking. Apparently he'd already like, made the substitute symbol and said he needed to come off. So, I mean, okay. I, 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 okay, okay. I, I kind good. of like that interpretation, but... The the commentator yeah. said party I signaled wish. he needs to come off here. And when I look at him, he looked yeah. pretty despondent like he was standing there. And you could tell he took one yeah. stride back when Arteta pushed him. And he could not run on yeah. it at and, all. Yeah. And Danny Wells on pretty quick. Mm-hmm. Um, the, like the one of the pro, like I agree with your analysis between you and Tim of, of this situation. I do kind of think that we always want managers who will kind of tell you what's going on and not bullshit and blah, blah, blah. I think when you read his fuller quote and listen to his explanation of it, it starts off sounding kind of negative. And when you're you're done reading it, it's more of just an explanation of of what happened. I don't think he was really trying to hang party out. He was just saying, listen, he should have gone down. I was, you know, he was explaining why did he push him back? He was asked, why was he pushed back onto the pitch and what, you know, and he was saying, look, he should have gone down. Well, guess what? He should have. Um, uh, he explained why he wanted to get him back on there, etc. And it's, it sounds like just telling you what you already know. It doesn't sound like a, you know, a Nicholas uh, Pepe moment where he kind of hangs him out to dry and blames it on him. I, I don't think it's that <clears> bad. And in the, in, in the bigger scheme of things, I don't think it'll really matter. The, the big fuck up here was picking him and playing him uh, when when a cooler head would have looked at the season and this period coming up where we're going to play back-to-back twice-a-week Premier League games um, and and more weeks where we're playing three games. And guess what? All we needed to do was sit in, keep it tight against uh, Spurs and uh, see if, uh, see what they had against us. I think it was, I think he got two big calls wrong before this game even started I think, you know, it, 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 the two goals they scored uh, made analyzing the actual performance kind of a, a almost pointless task. Um, 
and it's just a very you know i i rewatched it it's not as bad as i remembered it in fact in many ways there's there's some reasonable performances in there but it's kind of a bit meaningless because spurs kind of let us play yeah yeah i mean um uh, clive i don't i don't want to go too much longer on this cuz i want to ask you about uh some of the things we did on the in the attacking half, and, and we could certainly get to the way we were naive and left ourselves exposed at the back for them to just execute their game plan early and then go to sleep the rest of the game. But before I do that, I mean, the decision to start party, I mean, he could have played El Nenny just for the running and been more defensive. He didn't do that. He could have played El Nenny next to party to have a little more mobility in midfield because Shaka, you know, whatever you thought of him before, he he really can't do it anymore. I, I was surprised he brought Ceballos on for party instead of El Nenny. I mean, granted, we're chasing a game at that point, so maybe he feels he doesn't have a choice. El Nenny had played an hour uh, on Thursday, which maybe was ill-advised. So, I mean, how do you feel about the way he responded in that moment? And are you surprised he didn't go for a little more energy in central midfield? Because certainly without party, we, we had no mobility. But, I mean, even early on, you could tell Shaka was, was not going to be able to get up and down the pitch. Yeah, I think um, at 2 0, it, it was a Tobias game because we're trying to chase yeah, the game. It's fair. And so it's just a different type of player that's required. Hey, look, I, I don't want to talk too much about this because the guys have covered it really well. I just think it's an indicator of the pressure and the desperation that we feel. And I spoke yesterday about um, having a level of humility about where we are and who we are. And it's, it's difficult for us because we've grown up as kings. You know, we've grown up this way. And um, it's difficult. To, for us to see our limitations and then react to it by picking a team that potentially is not trying to win. That's not who we are. You know, that's not who we've grown up to be. And so for me, it's it's hard to accept that we have to have a, a, a pragmatic approach to a game of football. But I said yesterday, Chelsea did it. You know, Chelsea did it. They weren't too humble, right? And so why couldn't we do it? And that comes down to us and our DNA and some of the decisions that we've made over recent years regarding wages and contracts, they're a byproduct of that, that thing in us that says, no, 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 we're not ready to accept who we are. We're still the big boys. Bang, there you go, 250. Bang, there you go, 100. Do you see what I mean? And that's what we've been doing. And I know you know this, Elliot, but that's just slowing down what we need to do because we're investing in the wrong areas and the wrong age profile. So we just can't quite get it. We're not who we were. If you want to get back there, you've got to make some smart decisions. And I know it could be rage-emulated, but we we don't look very smart off the pitch or or on it at the moment. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, I agree. So so let me stay with you for a second, um, Clive, because, you know, I look at this. I said this earlier. If you squint, you see some good football. I mean, we, against Wolves... We uh, we had 185 attacking third passes and 33 passes in the penalty area. You know, not completing quite a lot of them. Um, you know, and then again, you look in this game, and it's uh, let me pull it up here. It's 213 attacking third passes, 38 passes inside the penalty area. Now, again, as we know, there were, there were then the other 44, which were crosses, um, but. You know they played six passes in their in our penalty area, completing one. They played thirty five attacking third passes. Nineteen were completed. Now they didn't have to do much more. So I, I fully understand that it it could have gone a little differently. But 
you know, I'm curious how you feel about this because there were times in the game where I thought, well, we're progressing it better. We're getting it forward. We're pushing them back. I didn't feel that they were like super organized, at least in the first half. I thought there were times we were pulling them out of position, but I felt this was the first game where I really looked and I said, this isn't necessarily just a failure of tactics. It is now a failure of quality. You know, you, you talked in the instant reaction pod about Lacazette working his socks off and I couldn't agree more. But he's not a 10. He, he he doesn't have it there. And, you know, I felt that Willian was what Willian is, which is a garbage player, past his best, and, and, and shouldn't be in our team. And Aubameyang now looks, you know, whether we want to bring up the age conversation or not, Aubameyang looks far from his peak, and Saka was trying hard, got a few things wrong in the first half. So do you feel that maybe there was some some better progressive football played and that we just didn't have the quality in the final third to exploit it? Or are you more of the mind that we just played right into their hands? It's a combination of, of both. Um, it's a combination of game state. It's a combination of, <laughs> I don't think people want to hear this today, but actually we were better in this game than we were against Wolves. And there are some sparks of something, but then you question it. Can you, then you ask yourself, well, why? You know, I think I read somewhere today that Spurs have got an XG of, I think, 15 goals and, and they've got 23. And they've got an XG against of... Um, something like 13 goals we've actually only conceded nine so they're they're doing they're exceeding expectations on both ends of the pitch and we walked into a very efficient team defensively and a very efficient team offensively when they attack so they're playing he's got them bought into him he's got them bought into what they need to do to win four matches to change the mentality it's ugly they're exceeding their numbers but they're winning so it's okay we're trying to find our, refind our identity. And there's something that you said last night that made me think overnight about Aubameyang. And while we were, you know, singing away in, in June, July, etc., and we win the FA Cup, what was really in the background there? That's really only one person scoring and maybe one person passing to him in Pepe. Mm. And we we saw a little purple patch on Saka scoring a couple of goals. And what really happened was we were really excited by this. You know, really excited. Then we bring Willian in and Pepe gets crushed, so we lose him. We lose a Yang after the contract signature. And you look at the rest of the team, you're thinking, oh my God, who's going to score? I mean, who is going to score? And it sort of hit us by, it's really hit us hard. It's really hit us hard. And so that we've lost our offensive confidence completely, and no more so than the really emotional, sensitive Yang, who is a smiling, happy player. When he's happy, you can't miss it. I think we're discovering when he's sad, you can't miss that neither. You know, it's really obvious. He's just that type of player. You can just see how he's feeling. And so we're, we're how he's been carrying us, but we can't, we can, he's no longer carrying us. And so we're in a situation where, yes, there are some improving things. Yes, I know the, the crosses are, are, you know, too many, too many low quality. But, you know, I would like to see more inverted crosses, actually. You know, with a lefty from the right and a righty from the left. So you're making people back into their goal rather than the you know, rather than lefty from the left where you're swinging it away. It's easier to defend. I want defenders going back towards their goal. I'm not against crosses. I'm not against it. It's just a type of crosses and the fact that you have a model in the middle where people are going to be there to understand what's happening, where it's going to land on the type of players and actually do something with it. And so we're just in this funk at the moment about who we are and how we want to be. And we just have to decide which one of these experienced players that we're going to build around attacking-wise 
Given the fact that we've given the 250 to our, our skipper, we need to create a game plan that works for him. When he's on the left, we didn't really use him or we use him in the wrong way. When he's in the middle, we're, we can't seem to find him. And so we're being coached against, coached around, and we just haven't got the tools in place to really deliver a consistent attacking identity at the moment. And I'm not saying anything that you guys don't know, but it's becoming really apparent in the last few games. And I'll tell you now, mate, you can't go on for one more on Sunday because we'll be in real trouble. Yeah, and and I mean, it's another game, you know, where whatever the reason... So, so I would say that, like, early on when we were struggling under Arteta to create chances... I felt that, you know, we had the horseshoe of sadness. A lot of passing around the deep midfield, around the center stripe. You know, if you look at the, um, you know, the pass map against Leicester, that Leicester game was diabolical. And we never really even pushed them back very much. Um, Wolves, I felt, were in a much more settled defensive shape for most of the game, and we rarely troubled them. But against Spurs, there were moments. The the counterattack where they get their second goal starts with us having a really good back-to-front move that ends up with an opportunity if Oba just comes free from his marker, and he doesn't. And I think the Aubameyang discussion is an urgent one because in a team without that quality in the final third, he's supposed to be it. He's We gave him three hundred grand a week to be the savior, the, the fix for a woefully inadequate front, front line. Um, Tim, I... You know, I, I don't know what to make of what's going on with Aubameyang, but I'm curious if you, you know, the 44 crosses thing is going to get a lot of attention because it is a patently ridiculous way to play. But, you know, we discussed this on the analytics pod. There's crosses and there's pullback. Crosses come in different varieties. Some of them are low quality chances. Some of them are actually good chances or moves where there could have been a chance, but the player opted to float in a cross instead of just making a clear pass. There were, you know, back heels from Aubameyang in the box to Saka. There were crosses across the face of goal where the, the striker didn't make the run. There there was the move right before they score where, you know, we, we had what I thought was a presentable opportunity. I mean, cutbacks are high quality chances. Sometimes they're classed as crosses. Sometimes they're not. I have to admit, I don't totally understand how those statistics work. So for you, I mean, where do you fall on my theory that the ball is now getting to the final third in ways that it wasn't earlier, but the quality there is not there. And and is it, is it an Aubameyang problem? I mean, is that what we're confronting now or is it more of a delivery issue? Oh, I think it's a delivery issue. Like, I, I just think it's such a rubbish idea. I can't, I can't put it any more. Um, I can't put it any more succinctly or sympathetically than that. It is an absolutely rubbish idea from the coach. He's look. I, I like. I have some sympathy in terms of progressing the ball into the final third because he, he just patently doesn't have players who can really do that very well. Um, maybe Partey's one of them. Um, but we're not. We're not seeing that much of him. Um, at the moment, because we're not managing in fitness-wise. Um, but like, who, like, what you need if if your tactic. I mean, by the way, can you think of a really successful team whose tactic is to throw forty-plus crosses into the box a game? Because I can't. Like, I can't really. It's weird, right? Because because Tim, the um, funny thing is, no. But like, when I think of Manchester City and in their pomp, they were a team that kind of like brought it to, to either Silver De Bruyne who put it out wide to, you know, someone like Sterling who then cut it back to uh, to Aguero. Like, like I can think of teams yeah, that use those wide intricate. spaces, Liverpool too, but not with not with the kind of crosses that we're delivering. 
No, 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 not like chucking, like getting your fullbacks to just lob right, them in yes. from the touchline. <laughs> like, like you're, you're right, yeah, the way Man City play, but that's like, that's intricate. That's like really good movement patterns of play, and that's just about getting as close to the goal as possible for a cutback. This is like just crosses lobbed in, um, you know, from a standing, and from like a standing start as well. And and so on this, like, so I, I do have some issues with, uh, you know, Abamyang's I guess, body language. As, mu- as much as I kind of don't blame him, you know, there's a part of me that thinks, come on, you're the experienced guy in the pitch and all that stuff that Steve Round said in that interview um, about six months ago about, you know, not showing negative behaviours and things like that. I think he's showing quite a lot at the moment. But like, what what has made them fall on this idea? Um, do, do you know where teams that chuck loads of aimless crosses in finish? 15th. That's where they finish. That's what those teams do, right? We're playing Burnley next kind of what Burnley do right but they've got Ashley Barnes um, and Chris Wood up front so unless we're about to put in bids for like Andy Carroll or Ashley Barnes we shouldn't be playing this way and I know it's not easy um, to make this team attack well but it just seems to me that Arteta's looked at it and gone right I still don't want to play through the middle because I don't think we've got the quality for that so um, why don't I just get like loads of crosses in? And uh, in fairness, we have some guys who can cross. Like William can cross. I think Bellerin's good at it. Tien is good at it. Good at it. You know, we have some good crosses, but we have nobody who thrives on that kind of that kind of service. Like Giroud left nearly three years ago, and the other thing that makes crosses a bit more effective is midfield runners like creating that bit of chaos but we don't have that either so what we're trying to do is hit the absolute eye of the needle by putting it on a Bamiang's head and a Bamiang doesn't even like that's that's not his game at all and you know he had that one chance in the header like basically what's happening at the moment I think I saw we've hit over a hundred crosses in the last four games and it's got one goal it's it's an unbelievably inefficient tactic like you should have it in your armory but your own not not just your sole tactic but your only tactic like no that that is not the answer mm-hmm. um that is you know <laughs> we were I I don't want to say we were sold. I, I guess a lot of us convinced ourselves, probably myself included, that Arteta would be this exciting young coach at like the vanguard of, of, of football tactics. And here we are like playing like Burnley um, and it's rubbish. And, and do you know what? Like, I, and I don't mean that dismissively to Burnley because Burnley have the players to do it. And so like... <clears throat> well, in different I, aspirations. I have... <laughs> well, yeah, yeah. Because they'd be happy with 15th. Mm-hmm. And like I, I don't have, um, I, like I don't, I don't care about the style of football. I don't care if it's passing out from the back. I don't care if it's passing. I don't care. If, all I ever want when I watch Arsenal is to do do what works. And the, and and Arteta has my sympathy in the same way Emery had my sympathy, in that it's very hard to make something work with these players. But this is not it. And I really don't, I'm really concerned by some of Arteta's comments about, I think after um, Wolves, he said like, oh, we, we weren't ruthless enough. And this game, he's talking about, you've got to put the ball in the net. And it's like, he, he's trying, like, I, I feel like he's trying to bullshit us, if I'm being quite frank. 
um, and kind of putting it on the, all the, you know, the players aren't putting the ball in the net. And it's like, it's because we're not creating chances for them. Like you're just trying to lob the ball on their heads from 15 yards out. Of course, they're not scoring. It's not like we're putting them through on goal three times a game and they keep missing. It's because then they're, they're, like, they're not chances. Like how many saves did Lloris have to make in this game? Like I can think of one from Lacazette. And that how many were from feet? Did, did, one from did holding, we, just one from holding, one from Lacazette, both from headers. Did, did yeah. we have any shots with feet? I can't even think. I, we must have maybe outside the box or from a free kick or something. I can't think of it. Did anyone take a shot with their foot? The, <laughs> no, there was uh, some blocked ones. And, and there was that, you know, that one um, chance for Aubameyang where Alderweireld comes back and blocks his shot and, and Aubameyang looks a bit, he looks like a guy who's a bit pissed off and not, not scoring many goals at the moment. But... Whereas I kind of think, you know, you compare that that chance he has where he gets blocked by out of Ireland, that is almost exactly the same position um, from which he scores the winner in the cup final. And look at how differently he takes those two chances. You know, in August, it's, yep, I'm going to skip round you and just chip the ball over the goalkeeper. Whereas here it's, I'm just going to smash it with my left foot and hope. Um, and, and that's where he's kind of culpable and his confidence is culpable. But I, I'm sorry, this this tactic is rubbish. It is rubbish. And Arteta is trying to bullshit us by telling us that this is about, you know, not being ruthless or not being clinical. It's a rubbish tactic. And um, I, I just I have I have real concerns now that Arteta is falling has fallen into the trap Emery has uh, fell into, which is trying to create something that works with these players or the like getting like the perfect system or the perfect fit for these players. And I don't think it exists. I think what I think what I've learned and, and this is wise after the event, but I think what I've learned um, from watching like the last couple of managers is that what the manager should do really is fuck it, play your style and then recruit around it because that makes recruitment easier as well. Because you say, right, we're playing this way. It makes it much more, it makes it much easier to identify players that you want. So you don't end up like spending, you know, giving big contracts to guys like Suarez and Willian into their mid thirties, play your style, play the game that you want to play from the day that you walked into the job and if they can't do it, recruit around it. And it won't be great. I know that. And I know there'd be bumps in the road and we wouldn't be brilliant. I don't think we'd be 15th. Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, that's all well said. That That is a lot of good stuff there. And I, I will say the funny thing is like, Tim, I, I have to admit, I watched the second half kind of zoned out because I knew we had no chance. I mean, I watched it, but I knew it was done. I knew it was done. I knew, I knew what was going to happen. The interesting thing is I remember the first half as a half where we actually had some reasonable attacking possession. And the irony is when you look at it, we had 15 crosses in the first half. I mean, it's a lot, but it's not holy shit. But that means we had 29 in the second half, which is kind of how I remember the second half. I remember a first half where we pulled them out of position a bit. We did some things. We, we had some little intricate moves around the box and some things that, you know, under different circumstances with better quality, with an Aubameyang in form or with players that are a little bit better than Willian and Lacazette are, and maybe even Saka, who, let's be fair, first half misplaced some stuff. Um, we, we create something. It was the second half, 29, I mean, 29 crosses is a 58 cross pace. That's the half where I thought all the invention, all the creativity, all the, you know, you know what lobbing in 29 crosses is? It's quitting. 
It's getting to the byline and throwing it across. It's not hustling to spots and trying to interconnect and trying to one-two and trying to play in behind. It's it's quitting in a way because it is the easiest way to just make an attacking move look like you did something. I got to the byline and I lobbed it across. Terrible. Um, Paul, I'm going to pick at a scab here, and I hate to do it, but I have to do it. Um, but since I'm going to pick at a scab, it gives me the perfect opportunity to talk briefly about scabs or at least not having scabs, not having abrasions, not having cuts of any kind. You know, maybe just the thing to shave off the pain of the North London Derby is to just start shaving off hair in places you don't need it in your body. And that's right, I am weaving in a Manscaped advert. So Canada, Europe, Australia, good luck. You're in luck. Stock and stuffers, they're available now where you are. UK, US, you're still in play. Let's get it done. Let's make these stock and stuffers for everyone. Um, the Lawnmower 3.0, couple of highlights. Great battery life wet, dry, bring it in the shower, clean it up down there. Maybe the gift isn't the, the lawnmower. Maybe the gift is your partner to your partner that you are clean and, and fresh and ready for the joy and love and connectedness that we experience during the holidays, hopefully. And if you're not experiencing that, maybe it's just self-love, self-maintenance. Self um, the thing has ceramic blades. Like it does not pull. It does not tug. You can use it on eyebrows. You can use it on, um, you know, uh, uh, unwanted hair, wherever it is, chest, Certainly, the privates are the area that we are targeting here. And that goes for men and women. Beautiful recharger just sits on your vanity or in the in the shower. Leave it there for weeks if you want because the battery lasts forever. You're going to love the lawnmower 3.0, but the most important thing you're going to love is putting in our promo code because you will get 20% off and free shipping. That's cool. And that's a stocking stuffer. So, uh, manscaped.com, 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 manscaped.com. Promo code. What's the promo code? It's Arsenal Vision. It's Arsenal Vision. Postmaster Podcast. The promo code is Arsenal Vision. Just do it. Again, if you do it, I will send you private feeds of this podcast without me talking about shaving your privates. How about that? How about that as a deal? Hit me up. Manscaped.com, promo code ArsenalVision. You're going to love the thing. Look, you have to do it. You have to do it. What are you doing? Using a blade, a rusty blade that's been in your shower for eight weeks? How's that working out? Don't do that. Do this. Manscaped.com, promo code ArsenalVision. Cool. All right. Paul, we're going to pick it a scab, and then Clive, I, I, I definitely will get back to you on crosses. Is that okay? Fair enough. That's yes. Cool. Or, or do you, how about this? How, just jump in on the crosses thing real quick, Why, because we're on that topic. You you do it. Uh, jump in on the crosses, and then I'll let Paul pick at the scab, and then I'll come back to you with uh, with okay. a, a question. I think a lot of people have on their mind. Well, as Tim was talking there, in, you know, crosses is a is a cheap way of playing. In my mind, sometimes I think he's just giving the ball away, getting a new from the crowd. But I look back quickly on the uh, City and um, Chelsea games versus uh, Tottenham. And City put in 30 crosses and Chelsea put in 26 crosses, which is quite a lot for those two teams, right? So this is a tactic that Tottenham do. They give you outsides, they block the middle, they bring their centre mids into into the back line and they're really strong around the penalty area. So they're saying to you, we fancy Aldevaro, Dyer, Hoiberg and Sissoko to head it out. You keep putting it in there and we'll escape. And when we escape, we'll try and be efficient. And so we're falling into a trap. And the question I have is, the Wolves is something similar to us and Spurs is something similar to us. So suddenly we're talking about crosses. At no point during the last year have I heard anyone talk about crosses. So is it just a byproduct of the last two games and how we've been defended against? The question I ask is, why now? You know, why now? Is it because we are progressing the ball or being allowed to and this is who we are? People are putting the crosses in. They're two new signings in Willian and Tierney, primarily with Bellerin. These are byproducts of how they play. I've got a few questions around this. I'm not sure this is it. 
for us. We could become a crossing team. I do think, obviously, um, it's not efficient, as we all know. But I still think I'm not sure this is quite the style we want to play. Maybe it's your position that are telling us who we are and say, look, don't let Arsenal play through you. They're crap at crossing. We're, we're crap, we're dumb, and we're crossing. Do you know what I mean? I think it may be that. Yeah, okay, fair enough. Um, and, and yeah, I mean, again, just super quick, Clive, I think what you've said sort of aligns with my view, by the way, which is especially in the second half, lobbing in 29 crosses, I don't know that that's the plan. It feels a little like quitting. You know what I mean? Because it's it's a brainless, easy way to just do an attack without having to put in the extra work and creativity and quality to make something better, yeah. if you see my point. It's, it was the easy, less stressful way. Mm-hmm. Let's get it quite close. Let's whip it in and hope something will happen. And like, if we scored, I bet we'd have started playing football again. It, is a, it looks like a team low on confidence and low on yeah. creativity and low on believing they can play their way through people. They're just lobbing the ball in there, and that just tells you that the whole team and management is under stress. Yeah. Um, well, I, I want to do something, Paul, that, that I'm loath to do, but I feel we need to do it. I'm going to pick it a scab, as I mentioned, and then um, we can maybe turn our attention a little bit to the manager himself and, and a couple other uh, individual performances as well. But look, there is a guy who, in my view, put in one of the one of the best shifts in the game just in terms of pure energy, commitment, effort to do what he's being asked to do, and that is Alexander Lacazette. I thought Lacazette's effort, approach, energy, you know, he was the most fouled. He's popping up in that position at the top of the box, sort of between the lines to try to to try to facilitate. And what I see is a guy who for all of the things that I think are nice about him, cannot do what he's being asked to do. Can he do it against Rapid Vienna? He can, and he did. Can he do it against Spurs in the Premier League? He can't, and he didn't. And there is a real point I think has to be made. We as fans have got to appreciate that talent is more important than effort. The best players have both. But you cannot prioritize effort over talent. Maybe you can at, you know at a, a position, you know, like center back at some level where you can grit through it if you're just smart and working hard. I don't know. But I think at the highest level of football, talent beats effort every time. Not every time. Nine times out of ten. Um, and that the best players, again, the De Bruyne's, you know, they, they have it all. And we don't have those players. I, I think Mikel Arteta has made a, a real problem for himself because instead of playing Alexander Lacazette out of position between the lines grafting but not succeeding he could have Mesut Ozil he could he could have Mesut Ozil and instead Mesut Ozil is getting 350,000 pounds a week to sit on his couch and play Fortnite while a, a really past his best number nine is trying to play number 10 and not getting it done would Mesut Ozil ever work as hard as Lacazette did in this game probably not and even still he would do it better than Lacazette did I don't want to pretend Mesut Ozil was putting in game-winning performances before he was uh, left out of this team because that's not the case. But he was playing for Arteta and he was playing well and the attack was better. The, the attack when Ozil was in was better. If you hate Mesut Ozil, I'm here for that. You have every right to have that opinion. If you're glad he's out of the team, again, here for it. You're welcome to have that opinion. But the club is paying him 350,000 pounds a week and using Alexander Lacazette at 10 in the Derby and it's not working. So for you, Paul... Is this a situation that Arteta has to correct, has to resolve, has to bring him back in January, assuming we're still talking about Mikel Arteta in January? Because, like, talent beats effort. It just does. Ganduzi would be better than Shaka. 
Ozil would be better than Lacazette, and I'm not saying he handled those situations wrong under the circumstances. I want to be clear. I don't know enough about them. He may have had no choice. I'm curious how you feel about that and about the fact that we are now, you know, trying to win these games with an arm and a leg tied behind our back, in part because of decisions that he's he's made at how to manage the squad. Well, Ozil's gone. Um, and like He's not just gone. Set. He is, yeah. He's not gone. He can play like, in January. This manager is absolutely fucking dead if he brings back Mesut Ozil now. Okay, fair absolutely enough. Absolutely dead. Fair, that's fair. Okay, I see what your point. I see your, I see your point, but I, I guess all I meant is he's not... He can play he, in February. Sorry, Clyde, Clyde pointed out February. Yeah. Because he mm-hmm. was no good at football. Right. I mean, he played almost every game up till the break. So that's not what this is about. And I personally have accepted the pledge that... Ozil's gone. I'm not going to pull my hair about out about it. It doesn't matter what we're paying him at this point. That money's gone too. So I have moved on from that. If other people want to discuss mess at Ozil, I guess great. To, to be fair, I man, had we had a whole episode that I titled "The Last Mess at Ozil Conversation." So fuck yeah. me, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I did feel we'd we'd kind of. But anyway, yeah. um. So here here's a here here's my little um. Pet theory, probably as good as the party one you shot down a little earlier with actual facts. But here's my theory. The manager, the team had a big old chat, um, a big old bust up after the Wolves game and had heart to hearts and started to talk about how they wanted to play going forward. Unfortunately, the next game was against Spurs. And what the manager should have done was said, yeah, let's just park that for a week or so. And then we'll start talking about going, playing more progressive football, creating, getting Obama Yang the ball in more dangerous places. Unfortunately, the next game up was Spurs. The one game he should have said, uh, for this game and for one game only, we're going back to to, uh, the original plan. I think timing was just shit here. I think they all had a heart-to-heart. They all came out of that with kind of having pointed the finger and then having resolved how they were going to play together going forward uh, under the manager's auspices, and the next game up is Spurs. Now, the problem for Arteta is great of players, and he doesn't have any. And the closest thing he has at the moment, having tried it out against Rapid Vienna, was Lacazette, who was great in that game, but it was Rapid Vienna. In this game... um. Lacazette didn't just work hard. He was actually pretty good at being a 10 at times. There's that ball, uh, I think, somewhere like halfway through the first half, he puts through to Bellerin. Uh, Bellerin crosses it to Aubameyang, if I'm remembering the play right. And Aubameyang is ponderous and gets isolated over to the left one-on-one and tries to lay it off to somebody. Or maybe that's the one Saka uh, goes tearing up and... uh, uh, all but back heels it to him and uh, Saka puts in a cross or something. Um, but he had a number of moments. The, the main problem with Lacazette was he didn't have nearly enough. There was a really good piece on Match of the Day where they showed all the times where the number 10 should make himself available or or one of the more attacking uh, wide players like Saka or Willian. But certainly uh, Lacazette, there, were, there was that zone ahead of uh, Chaka or Ceballos, especially in the se- second half, where and you'd see Lacazette and he was kind of strolling. And it wasn't that he hadn't worked hard all game; he had, but he 
you know, he's not wired as a number 10. So he, uh, he's going to do it for the first 20, 25 minutes. And then the game takes its own course and he gets tired and he starts thinking like a striker again or a second striker. And the challenge for the manager is if he's going to persist with Lacazette as a 10, I mean, I think he might be a half decent number 10. But it takes a while that when you're tired and the game's under stress and you're, you're just trying to find something that works, uh, it, it's going to take some period of time for Lacazette to switch his mindset and to see the game as a 10 when he's tired, when he's exhausted, when he's, he's uh, playing under stress, when the game's under duress. And in the second half, I think he reverted to being a, a second striker. And it meant that our plan got even more basic in that the guy who was supposed to be dropping in to those z- zones... Uh, to play through the middle, stopped kind of doing that after a while. So I, d- I don't think it was a totally pointless exercise. I just think there's a really tough time in mm. a season to make a switch like that. I don't know if he's good enough to do it. Uh, I do think he's got some promise in that area. But this is a very, bri- you know, he ain't he ain't Harry Kane. Uh, and he, he's, he's not going to make that switch that easily, that comfortably. But I do think he has some game there. Yeah, uh, this wasn't uh, the game to do it. God love you, Paul. I, I think you can make a cogent argument for anything, and thanks. Everything you should you've hear s- my chaka take right now. You'd love it. Uh, that all right? You can't make a cogent <laughs> argument for that. That guy's dead. But like, the fact is, good, well-run clubs don't decide that the way they're going to facilitate their attack is taking a 29-year-old declining striker who was never elite to begin with and make him their number 10, and that's how their attack's going to be facilitated. And I agree with you. He's got something there. We saw it against Vienna, and that's the level where he's got something. And we saw against this team, he didn't. And it's not to say he will never, ever, ever have any good games or ever influence a game playing that role, because that's not how football works. The issue is, will he consistently be good enough at this role that it will get us where we need to go? And the answer is patently no. Now, that may be why we're looking at players like Awar and Dominic Sobislai or, you know, whoever it's going to be. Great. I think the reason I even brought up Ozil, and I now sort of regret doing it um, and uh, wish I could go back to that point in my life and 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 take it back. But um, it's the man management issues for me are there. I'm just going to say something real quick. And then, Clive, I want you to talk about Hector Bellerin for a second. But... You know, look, I've had people in business, you know, where I, we're not, I'm, I'm at work and I have someone who's important to my business and important to how I earn a living, be rude to me, be mean to me, treat me poorly, treat me in a way that I don't think I deserve. And the instinct is to want to tell them to go fuck themselves. And then you, you think about it and you go, you know what, like, I'm, I'm a grown person with a family and while that's the way I want to deal with it and that's probably what they deserve, I have to find another way to solve this because my livelihood depends on it. And I just think Arteta has had a very one-note man management approach. Now, at first, it looked like culture change. But you know what, guys? Are we better for the culture change? So he changed the culture. Are we better? Is the club better? Is the team better? Are we playing better? Do the players look happier? Culture's a thing we say when teams are winning, when teams are moving in the right direction. Oh, they've improved the culture. Culture doesn't look improved now. And then you look at it and you say, you know, he... His first move is always to freeze out. His first move is to punish. The way he wants to talk about Pepe after the red card. The way he wanted to deal with issues that we saw from last season that I won't reiterate. And, you know, I mean, it does make me wonder. But then you look and you say, well, Willian goes to Saudi Arabia with, you know, a COVID lockdown violation comes right back into the team. So, like, is it one rule for one set of players, another rule for another set? I don't know. I'm not totally sure how I feel about it. 
But I think this fixation on culture that we, myself included, we're all very sort of on board with, what I'm coming to realize is he's got to find other ways to solve discrepancies with the players because the culture's not better, the team's not winning, and he's just making his own life harder because he doesn't have the best players on the pitch. Not because they can't be, but because he's decided they shouldn't be. And I don't know if he has the luxury because if he winds up losing this job, it's going to be partly because he has a shit squad, but part of the reason he's going to have a shit squad is because he decided to play Willian over Pepe, because he decided to chase young talent out of the team, because he never gave Saliba a chance, because he did decide that Ozil's better on a couch than in team. And he may have been right. By the way, I want to be clear. I, I can say this now because I've got the benefit of sitting here when he's losing and saying, ha-ha, that was wrong. He may have been right in every one of those situations, but he's made his life harder. And maybe he needs to find other ways to approach his man management where he doesn't make his own life harder. Culture isn't a thing. It is, I mean, it is a thing. Let me, sorry, culture yeah. is a thing. But it is a thing that it is much easier to post hoc analyze when you're winning and say, aha, look at that. Look at that. That's culture. So, you know, I, I, I got to be honest with you. I, I don't know that the culture thing matters. And, you know, Clive has just typed in the chat. Look at Emery. He lost the dressing room. And that's what happens. Like, are we sure that Arteta's not? I mean, we often say lost the dressing room when the results go to shit. They can't go much more to shit than this. Um, and I'm going to talk about the results in a moment. But before I do that, Clive, I want to talk about Bellerin just real quick. I don't think this is a day for too much individual analysis. I think Aubameyang is certainly one. Bellerin's another. This is a tricky one for me because on the one hand, I think he is one of our best final third players in the entire club right now. On that right-hand side, he delivers a better ball. He creates more threat. He has more dribbles. He has more uh, in-the-box passes than William does. So I don't want to kill him, but he's also the one that all the teams target for their attacks. Now, if you ask me, what is our biggest problem at Arsenal right now? It is not the defense. It is the attack. So I kind of want to have him in the team because I, I I don't think we can attack without him. But at the point at which every single thing that happens bad to you at the other end of the pitch happens on your side, it's hard to ignore it. So where do you fall on the idea that like Hector Bellerin is good enough in the attack that we can suffer his defensive liabilities? Or, or, or is he such a weak link now that it just makes it too easy for teams to target? Because Sun just went to his side, him and Holding targeted it, and you know the rest is history. Yeah, I did sort of say this before the game, didn't I? What would happen? Yeah, which yeah you, call, you called it. Yeah, absolutely called it. And, yeah, he, I don't know what to say, right? <laughs> I think um, it's a team thing. It's all about balance, fullback balance. I don't like both my fullbacks as high as what we have them. I, I don't. I prefer the Ashley Cole-Lauren thing. One goes high, one one inverts. We need to decide. We can't have too high. The reason why we can't have too high is because we're killing, our, we're killing Rob Holding. Killing that right centre back, and where William is subcontracts his role out to Bellerin, or Bellerin is just too forceful a personality, and he's in the area of playing that final pass that cost the second goal. That I would rather see Willian or Pepe do. Do you know what I mean? Because they're sort mm. of paid for that sort of thing. Do you know what I mean? And I'd rather see Bellerin be back. Are we sure that Pepe's paid? Uh, Williams paid for that? Do we know what Pepe Williams being paid to do at all? <laughs> <laughs> you know, you know what I mean. The expectation <laughs> is on <laughs> is on them to do that, and um, and we can we can critique we can critique him a bit more. If Tierney and Bellerin are our chief curators, there's something wrong with the team. Do you see what I mean? Mm-hmm. If we're getting broken on and those guys are running back out of the picture, then there's something wrong. And so if you have you know if you have just look at your team. If you have Rob Holding, you make sure you don't leave him on an island. Very simple, right? So um, if someone's on that side, will somebody just have a little look over your shoulder and make sure he can't hurt you? Don't just keep pushing on, pushing on, pushing on. And you look on the other side, and Tini's out there as well. 
but there's no chance to shuffle across and support. You know, it just looks a bit dumb. And then you've got Shaka piling forward as well. And Tim said, what's he going to do? Right? So, um, so it's just really perplexing what we're doing. And so with Bellamy, my issue with him is he's just, he's just intelligent. I think he's a fine young man and a fine player in a front-footed team that's in charge of a game. We're not. We're not that team anymore. Right? So, and he, he does things in games. And he defends by trying to push people back. And he defends by getting the ball intercepted, punching it and going. And he tries to force his winger to come back with them. And Saunders says, and, uh, and what Marino did quite cleverly was just said, don't, don't worry about him. You just stand in that area, mate. He's dumb. He'll go forward because he gets excited. He'll go forward and we'll get the ball to you. Mm-hmm. Within six minutes, that's exactly what happened. Bellerin knew. He ball watched. He came inside. And he, and he really tried to recover, but he recovered so aggressively, so speedily. He didn't know where to go to the overlap or go to the man. And in the end, he didn't either. And, and between him and holding, they just, the, boy, the guy stuck the ball into the top corner. It's just, you know, you know what, what happens with Arsenal? I mean, Wolves did it to us. Leicester did it to us. Villa absolutely punished that side. And so at some point, you have to say, I need to sit in for a bit. Or someone needs to tell him to sit in. You know, because it's not, we're getting killed on that channel, on that right channel. We're getting killed continually. And so I don't really care who the player is there. Just make sure you're coaching him appropriately to do the job. Do the first job. Teams are picking on you, right? So stop, let's stop that happening for a little while. Can you just settle in? The one thing I did watch this game and think, you know what? We didn't play very well in some patches. and some patches we did play quite well. But I looked at Bellerin and I thought, you're trying really hard and you've got the person age to hold a shirt. So I don't want to critique you, but you're making the same errors. We've been picked on the same way. You're, you're trying almost too hard. And it was his balls in this game that actually caused both breakaways. And he's not his in fault and on his own, but he's just a byproduct of us being too ambitious, not having enough brains to invert one of our fullbacks and hold the midfield and stop transitions against a team that doesn't want to play you and just wants to transition. So do I blame Barry or do I blame the coach? I probably blame both. Know your player. Know he's excitable. Know he cares. He's a he's basically a London boy since he was 16. He really wants this game, and he's going to push. He's going to push. If you don't hold him, fine. But make sure Tini don't push. Do you know what I mean? Make sure there's, there's, a, there's a secondary plan. I don't think we did that. So we're not supporting Bellerin. We're not supporting holding well, we know what Shaka can't do, right? So we just leave ourselves very, very vulnerable to the obvious game plan and it came to fruition. So, but Bellamy's taking some stick. My views on him are he's better away from his goal and he's close to his goal. Mm. I think there are, there are other options we could try, but not all of them have the personality to play for Arsenal, and his kid does. And so I want to try to support him, but there's some weaknesses showing there, and it's been obvious for quite a while. Yeah. yeah. Can I, um, pl- please. Mm-hmm. Yeah, can I just add on the Bellerin thing just really quickly? I, I think the issue um, is that we're asking him to do too many jobs. So he's part of the five lanes of attack, but not just that. Sometimes he's on the inside and sometimes he's on the outside um, of those kind of th- the right hand side of those five lanes. And then we're asking him to be part of the five lanes of uh, defense. And again, sometimes it's on the inside and sometimes he's on the outside. Not for the first time this season. Look at where he is when the goal is scored. He's inside Rob Holding and that's happened a few times. So we're kind of asking him to occupy four zones. And what's happening, basically, when when we gave Saka that job at left wing back, we sat Granit Xhaka 
behind him um, to give him that protection. There's no one giving Bellerin that type of protection there. So he kind of has my sympathy in terms of, you know, Clive's right. He tries so hard to get back that he sprints back. You know, he's really got the afterburners on and he does get back quickly. But it's so frantic um, and so kind of panicked because he's being asked to cover too much ground. And when you're being asked to cover that much ground, you can't then come back and then think clearly about your defensive actions. Um, and I appreciate he's, you know, he's made other defensive mistakes this season, like when he's been taken on by the likes of Grealish and whatever. But honestly, I do think about 80% of it is we're giving him too many jobs and nobody to kind of protect, to help shore up that flank a little bit. Yeah, yeah, I, I, I agree with that a lot. I mean, I, I don't think the system's doing him any favors. I mean, he is, he is one of the players that's being asked to do a little bit of everything. And when, you know, it's it's easy to miss the good things he's doing in attack for a team that isn't scoring goals, but it's not easy to miss when they score a goal against us down his side. And that's not to exonerate him. Tim, I, I, I'm just going to get into this now. I mean, how much longer does Arteta get? Um, I, I want to be clear about something. If you are someone who at this point still thinks people asking serious questions about the manager are premature then you are out of your mind. Absolutely out of your mind. Um, it doesn't mean he should be sacked. It doesn't even mean I want him to be sacked. But there are questions that absolutely must be asked about him now, and it would be insane not to be asking them. We are 15th, and depending on results today, we could be 16th in the table after 11 games. We've scored 10 goals. We are 17th in goals, 18th in XG. Our star signing is out. After being rushed back from injury, last year's SAR signing is backing up Willian. It is a problem. And it's not a new problem. Last season's attack was bad. We finished eighth. We got knocked out of the Europa League by Olympiacos. The only thing that has Arteta right now in a position of any comfort is an FA Cup win, which is not just some small thing. It is a big thing, a thing we care about, a thing we love, and a thing we are thankful for. I remember very clearly Arsene Wenger winning FA Cups when people still were ready for him to go. People begging for him to go after we beat Chelsea in the Cup Final, saying, go out on a high, now's the perfect time, okay? Because of all the other things that were going on. And at that time, we were fourth. We are now 15th, 16th, with the 18th best attack. Find me a big club, a big club, something. what we're supposed to be. The New York Times read an article on us saying... Nothing lasts forever. Talking about how we've lost big club status, about how things have changed. I, I don't think it's true. But if you can think of a big club that would be 15th with 10 goals scored through 11 games that wouldn't be asking questions about the manager, I, I think it's ridiculous. And that doesn't mean he should go. I want to be clear that doesn't mean he should go. But the questions being asked are not, cannot at this point be called premature. 70, 70 80 crosses in the last two games, not scoring any goals. I mean, it, it is... It is absolutely question time. And even if you want to say, well, the, the squad is shit. I agree the squad is shit. But some of the reason the squad is shit is him. I mean, he mm. chased some players away. He recruited some I mean, we don't know for sure, but it sure looks like William was his call. And then William was playing ahead of Pepe. That's his call. Not to say that Pepe's mm. perfect. But it, it's the point that there are there are things going on at the club right now that are terrible that he, are, he is not responsible for. But you can't sack the squad. So I'm not saying he should be sacked, but I do think that it is insane to suggest it's too soon for questions. And Tim, 
Are you going to talk me off the ledge and tell me I'm insane, or are you going to say that I'm right? And and what is the timeline now? What kind of turnaround has to happen for the club to say, okay, this is this is on track, this is going the right direction? Yeah, of course. I mean, of course, of course, it's the right time for questions. Of course, the, the very fact that we're talking about them and you're asking them says it's the right time for questions i i guess are the club asking those questions they'd be stupid if they weren't having that conversation and like you say that conversation doesn't be have to be oh my god when do we sack him but that conversation has to be okay or like like let's you know let's let's uh, you know, project a little bit worst case scenario and all of that. I mean, if really, it's it's too difficult to say um, exactly when that point is reached and what happens and whatnot. Like, if we don't, let's say we lose all of our next like six games or something, that then you know, then you're probably looking at that's the time. If we bumble through and get like a couple of wins, couple of draws, couple of defeats, like I like I I think the club is desperate not to have to make this call. Um, and you could also say that this season is domestically at least a write-off already, um, quite possibly. And therefore, and then you've also got to look at, you know, what, what are the actual options out there for a replacement? All of these things come into it, but all of those things came in for Emery as well. And frankly, when we sacked Emery, there was nobody out there except Ancelotti who, who we didn't seem to want to go for. Um, which is not a call I'm criticising per se, but uh, that was the only real obvious name out there. But basically, it reaches a critical mass at some point where you look at it and you go, right, the play- like like the players are the important ones, I think, here. When you go, like, these players look totally bewildered um, by, by everything they're being asked to do. And they just, you know, we reached that that critical mass with Emery right I personally I wanted him to go after the Europa League final but I understood why the call wasn't made then like I don't expect my opinion to be you know the club's opinion or the right opinion that was just my feeling I thought "Mm, I don't think this is going anywhere he should go Um, but then and and you know I'd say a lot of people agreed with me a lot of people disagreed with me at that point but by the time that Emery actually went like pretty much everyone was on that. Yeah, God, this is, do you know what I mean? Like it just reaches a critical mass and it's difficult to project when that point comes, you, 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 but you know, when it arrives, right. It's, it's like, um, I think they call it, uh, the, the paradox of the heap. Um, it might have a smarter name than that, but you know, like when you have like one grain of sand in your, in your hand and then you put another one, two grains of sand, that's not a heap. Three isn't four isn't like, what is that magic number when enough grains of sand are in your hand and it becomes a heap of sand? It's just like, it's unquantifiable, but once Mm. it happens, you know, and that, that's kind of what we're dealing with here. I, I don't see Arteta going anywhere. Um, this season, um, unless like it gets to, like I say, if we lose like the next six on the bounce, seven on the bounce, eight on the bounce, whatever, or if we genuinely end up in a relegation battle, which I, d- I don't think we will. I do think it will get better, maybe a bit better. But I, I think, um, you know, going back to what I said earlier about kind of having a plan and going with it from the beginning, like that, there are two reasons I think a manager should do that. One um, you don't confuse the players. And that's, you know, Clive referred to it as the washing machine. That's what happened under Emery. Like, eventually, you just confuse the fuck out of the players and they go, 
like what what are we even doing anymore mm-hmm. um and you know and you read stuff from like bielsa and people like that who are just like no you must stick to what you are doing at all times because if you waver you lose the players and unfortunately i think i've seen arteta waver a couple of times and we spoke about it after the leeds game when we abandoned the playing out from the back that to me was a bit of a red flag this fucking aimless crossing is a big red flag for me and him putting it on the players and saying that they're missing too many chances big red flag for me quite frankly um but the but the other reason is then you you recruit around it you recruit around that style and the guys that don't buy in you don't necessarily have to freeze them out but you sell them you just say okay he's he's not what we want you know that that's that's what Klopp did, right? He he came in, he played the style he wanted to play from game number one. He weeded out and sold the players who couldn't do it and he brought in players that could do it. And and that's, you know, and I guess an, another thing, another big red flag for me is Arteta saying, I think quite correctly, he's saying, look, this is not an overnight job. This is going to take three years, et cetera, et cetera. Yep, completely agree. So why did you buy a 32-year-old on a three-year contract? Why did you buy a 29-year-old Cedric on a four-year contract? Why did you give a three-year contract to Aubameyang? If this is all about this is going to take three years and it's about the future, well, actually, your recruiting behavior has not demonstrated that at all. In fact, you've replaced the 24-, 25-year-old winger with a 32-year-old one. Mm-hmm. That yeah. That is not the behavior of someone who is building a team for three years' time. So actually, as much as we praised our Teta's communication I think he's mixing signals now that is a big red flag for me um, but as as to when we reach that that critical mass of when he goes I mean I don't really know it would just it would as ever it would just be dictated by what the results are but I think that this is a boat that's beginning to turn round and it's getting harder and harder to turn it back on course. Unfortunately, I I do think he is falling into this Emery cycle now um, of try of, you know, basically just grasping at things in the dark. That's what it looks like to me. Yeah. Uh, And I mean, look, being likable goes a long way. Emery was unlikable. If Arteta was a miserable see you next Tuesday who couldn't communicate, I don't know how we'd feel about him. But he is likable. He was an Arsenal captain. He is a guy I want to see succeed. And so I want to give him the benefit of the doubt where possible. But I think there's a difference between giving someone the benefit of the doubt and ignoring the data, ignoring the reality. The reality is the team is bad. And like, you know, let's face it, we've gotten our hardest games out of the way. We really have in in most cases. He could pick up some points now. But we lost 3-0 at home to Villa. We haven't scored a goal since 1927. You know, our, our attack now is made up of, you know, enough crosses to fill a cathedral. So, like, I don't know exactly what the, the data points are that say, don't worry, we're, we're turning the corner. If anything, the data points say we're getting worse. And now there's no Thomas Party, And he's got to go through the busiest period of the season potentially without him. So, you know, the data points aren't good. And, and Paul, I think that leads to then the question of, like, where is the courage to realize that the future is what we should be planning for, not the present? And that leads me to the bench in the Derby. Where was Nelson? I don't know if he's hurt. If he was hurt, then I, I apologize for referencing Nelson, but I, I've not seen anything that suggests he was. Where's Smith Rowe? Where, you know, why do we have Elneny and Willock and Maitland Niles and, you know, I, I don't, and, and Ceballos? You know, like, can you, can you sacrifice one of them? I mean, Willock, fine. He's young. He's a future. But, like, can you, can you get Nelson on the bench? Can you get, you know, someone who has earned a position who can do something a little different? I know the Arscast talked about this. Um, 
you know, the second half, there's an incredible stat going around from Duncan Castles, I believe. Is it not Duncan Castles? Whom I think of. It, it's a different Duncan. It's it's Duncan. It, 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 anyway, it's an Opta guy. And it's Arsenal have the fewest second half shots this season of any team of the 92 in English football. So maybe you have Nelson on the bench because you know William's not going to do anything. I don't, I don't know. I mean, what what is what is the commitment to the meritocracy in terms of the way he's he's bringing those young players through and and his willingness to stick with a player like William? I mean, how, how do you feel about that? It's Duncan Alexander. Thank you, Tim. Typed it in. Duncan Castles is, is different. He's the guy who lives inside Jose Mourinho's anus. So, um, I mean, Paul. Where, where where is that? Where is that meritocracy? That commitment to a, a a bright young future that can take our mind off the uh, dull, dreary present. <laughs> yeah, um, like for this game, uh, I I kind of had this agreement with myself. I didn't really care what he did in terms of what was on the bench. I kind of I just wanted him to do what worked. Unfortunately, he didn't. So I wasn't going to... Uh, I could understand why for this game he would have gone for experience. I think in general, though, it is one of the my, more minor concerns, but 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 more, still fairly significant, is his development of the youth players because he's very, very, very cautious about introducing new players. And, like, he can point at Saka... But Saka was well, well on his path before. Um, he used Martinelli, but then he kind of slowed down on on using Martinelli. Martinelli stopped starting and started being on the bench. Nelson he used for a little while early on, and I thought he was beginning to show some interesting capabilities uh, before the break. Um, that Arteta seemed to really appreciate that he was kind of taking the coaching and and using the coaching. And now he's kind of disappeared from sight. It's too early for Smith Rowe, so I'll give that a pass. He used Willock a heck of a lot, as did Emery uh, in the previous season. Uh, But now he's cooled his jets on him, having brought in, I guess, Willian and kind of being crowded for options um, up the pitch. And he's using Lacazette in, in the spot that maybe he might have positioned Willock, but as we've debated before, I never really see Willock as being used as a 10. He's more used as a, a an aggressive presser runner a little further upfield. Um, but even Willock has kind of disappeared from view. Maitland-Niles has skills and abilities. We apparently wanted to hold on to him, having kind of changed our mind about him, and that's basically Arteta having changed his mind about him, and he's not using him either. Um, so he's got bigger fish to fry, and we've I've bigger bones of contention with Arteta than that. And as the French would say, we have other cats to whip. Uh, but, um, uh, you know, one of the things I w- I wanted to make sure with Emery while we were suffering with him was that he would use and develop our younger players. I mean, Arteta should be great at this. He should be great at working one-on-one with these players and developing them. And it's, you know, probably the area of his coaching that I'm most frustrated with um, beyond the obvious. We're playing like shit. Um. I mean, the root cause analysis of what our problems are, you know, should it, is this a time we should talk about the manager? 
Yeah. Um, uh, I think the decision really comes down to his squad, his team. I think, you know, we lost Emery when the team said, that's enough of this shit. Uh, we see no way forward. I think a lot of the indecision or the maybe the contradictory communication we've seen with Arteta recently um, is down to the fact that he may have just realized he doesn't have the answer. He thought he'd, he, you know, he thought magical things would happen as uh, as he kind of built structures and patterns and, and automatisms. And he's got to this point and it's not working he, and he's not sure where to go next. And him and the team need to get together and work out how they move forward. But the root cause analysis of our deepest problems, you know, should should the ownership, should the club be sitting down to discuss Arteta? Yeah, they definitely should. But they should in have an eye on context it. Of, they should have an eye on it. They don't have to sit down and make a decision now. No, but what they should be asking is what's the real fucking problem here? And it's not necessarily Arteta. And we so, all so, know that, right? For, no, I don't, I don't know that. Bottom, I don't know that. You think the only problem we have is Arteta? How did we pick Arteta? No, 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 we no. Sorry, no, 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 no. Yeah, yeah. Oh God, no. Of course not. No, I don't think he's the only problem. What I'm saying is, I don't know that he's not the problem. Like what I what I mean is, like I don't sure. know that the other but, problems but at the club. From the club standpoint, yeah. I would be worried if the only thing they they said was is Arteta the problem? Here? Yes, but they, but they um, but we know they're the problem too. That's, see, this is a problem, Paul. It's kind of like it it. it it's the whole thing of like, we're going to get, uh, it's like when a company gets an investigator to investigate themselves and the investigator says, nope, the company did everything right. You know what I mean? Like there's no one there. Like, and, and so can I, can I actually answer something? Well, you there just, is you know, now. Tim Lewis. But, but, I, but I think it's the biggest issue. It's a bit like uh, buying players in the summer to fix next year's problem. Instead, like if we're going to, as fans, have a voice and say something. We shouldn't. Let's stop fucking around <laughs> questioning the manager. You know, that's plan B. Plan A is give us a world-class approach and structure and explain it to us. Edu sitting down with us in the summer for a nice little chat with him and Arteta saying how they were going to work together and they were going to use more video and blah, 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 blah. Fuck off. Come to us. Ex explain to us clearly and precisely what your plan is as a club to make this a world-class uh, operation up against the best of them. We, we know we're going to have to wait a few years for the best players uh, for a manager that's world-class. Maybe it's this one. Maybe it's the next one. It's not looking very good for this one at the moment. But I, I don't think getting into a big discussion about whether we sack this manager or the next manager fixes a, a fucking thing about this club until we... Top to bottom work, like the root cause is the leadership of this club. Mm. And we need to say to them, show us what the plan is. Communicate it clearly, consistently. Like, say what you like about Gazidis. He had a plan. He then left. Uh, maybe his plan might to have To be fair, he's doing really well around. with Milan. His plan at Milan is buy young, you know, use data. You know, he's doing all the modern shit there and it's yeah. working. So it makes me sick. And, and it's not so much a discussion that he was great and we should have kept him because no, we wasn't. all know there were major issues with him. It probably would have turned to a shower ship, but I will say something about it. Mm. It made sense on paper before the people showed up. Yeah. You had your Sven Mislint hat. You had your. Yes, but. Before well, we, we knew we who the people it. were, right? We, we had Raoul. We, yeah, we yeah. scrapped it. Uh, we abandoned it. We had but it. We understood <laughs> it. 
We had analytics. We had coaching. It made sense. We were planning to be world class. We we built up. We were building up the academy. We put Per Mertesacker in place. It all looked like it made sense. Now, like this guy Vinay, mm. who's supposed to be good guy at at uh, as basically running the business. I mean, you can you can go across the board. Edu, I think might be a good guy with some ability. But oh, show me on. a come world-class on. operation, nah. a world-class structure. So if we're going to rub <laughs> the genie in the bottle and make a wish, mm. I wouldn't waste it on, ooh, maybe we should swab out the manager right now. I mean, that may, that may you know, that's going to be decided by the team and the manager. We should, as a fan base, if we want to be world-class, say – Give us a world-class structure, a plan, communicate it, tell us what's going on. We we can see how City are set up. Okay. We can see how Chelsea set, are set up. We can see how Liverpool are set up. God damn it, you can e- even see how Tottenham are set up. And it's not about the manager. Yeah, and look, I mean, you can. we can't spend like Chelsea. The Chelsea model doesn't fit us. But for God's sakes, Tammy Abraham was a stunningly successful guy in the championship. And then even put up good underlying metrics in the Premier League. And they still were like, now nah, we need Timo Werner. And we're sitting here like, well, Eddie and Ketty is good enough, I think, maybe. It just there, There's levels to how you do this. But, yeah. but, but you know what it reminds me of? If you've ever seen the movie Starship Troopers, have any of you guys seen the movie Starship Troopers? It's like a campy science fiction movie. And there's a thing where, yeah. you know, they're getting killed by space bugs. And every time a guy, uh, like a sergeant, gets killed, the, the guy turns to him and taps the next private on the shoulder. And he's like, you're it until you're dead or I find someone better. <laughs> like, that's our approach. We, we kill Raul and we just make Vinay the guy. And we just make Edu and Arteta the guy. And it's like, we had a structure. Gazidis leaves. Raul's a crook. Raul leaves. Vinay gets the job. Edu gets the job. Arteta gets promoted to manager. And the funny thing is, I would be so much more on board being much more patient with Arteta as a young bright coach he's clearly bright he's clearly talented there's something in there in my view some may say i don't see it i do think there is if he was just the coach with a structure above him what scares me is we made a first time coach in a really tricky period of the club's history the manager and we consolidated power in him and now i actually think that buys him less time because if he was just the coach you could say you know what We'll let him figure it out on the job and we'll just get the structures above him right and we'll start building him a better squad and he will learn and we will get better. But because now the power is consolidated in him, he becomes a single point of failure. Clive has talked about it a lot. And that single point of failure is someone who's never done the job before. And that is really, really dangerous. And, you know, I'm I'm sorry, but like you you look at some of the early choices and, and Tim highlighted them well. You know, the decision to bring in Willian and give Cedric a deal and, you know, some of the players that are getting picked. It, it is a worry. And so if you're building for the future and your attack is bad, I, I don't know that you want to give your 31-year-old striker 300000 a week for three years. Because here's the thing. Look, I'm not saying Arteta out. I'm not saying that. But I am saying the questions have to be asked now because even if you're like, Elliot, it's the squad. The squad is bad. And even if you want to set aside that Arteta had some things to do with that squad, it is not the 18th best. There are not 17 better attacks. There are not 16 better, 15 better squads. And if there are 17 better attacks, then why did you give 300 grand to the striker? Why did you bring in Willian if he's so bad? So it, it is really hard to come up with, for me, a scenario dispassionately where I would look at a big club sitting 15th, 16th with the 18th best attack, 11 games through the season, 10 goals scored, 
now really with a full season of bad attacking metrics and say no questions have to be asked. Totally fine, stay the course. Clive, I mean, this for me is the issue, is what would you look at right now and say these are the things that lead me to believe a turnaround is on the horizon? Because to be clear, results aren't the only way you can measure. You can measure with underlying metrics. You can measure with things that you see and you say, I look at that and that shows me we're moving in the right direction. What are those signs? What are those metrics that have you saying, yeah. Um, oh, by the way, Paul's on Twitter. Pause my pants. Thanks, pause. 90 minutes is plenty. You can go. You're fine. Bye, guys. Bye. Good luck. Yeah, thanks, man. Um, yeah, we're going to wrap up here. But like, uh, I mean, Clive, I do I do want to see. I, I lo- the thing about Arteta is I like him and I want him to succeed. I think making him manager was, was unfair to him. We can go down that road again later another time. But like, what are the metrics? If you had to say, Elliot, deep breath, here are the things I see that are working, that are good, that are leading us in the direction we want to go and why things are going to turn around. What are, what are those things? <laughs> the Diopter Spurs, you're asking me what's working? Well, I mean, you know, Rapid Vienna look good. Can, can we go back so, to that? Maybe, maybe what we need what to do I, is just what, be a permanent uh, say, uh, Europa League team. <laughs> what, I, what I will say is what's becoming... I've been, I've been in dressing rooms, right? When you go into dressing room, you're not playing well. And what tends to happen is you've got three departments in your team and, you know, the, the strikers start to talk about a defenders not keeping the goals out and vice versa. The defenders say, well, you need to score one so we're not under so much pressure. And the midfielders, the defenders then say to midfielders, give me a bit of cover. You're not there for me, all the rest of it. And what I really, I heard Jerry Jenner say this yesterday, actually, but he sort of sparked some thoughts in my mind. I don't see enough relationships on the pitch. I don't see relationships between our midfield and our attack. And I'm looking at the, I'm, I'm really perplexed by the Aubameyang situation. I'm looking at the reasons why that could be happening. And I think it's because he doesn't know when the ball's coming. He doesn't He doesn't agree with the quality that's coming from that level of the pitch. And I just think he's had enough. And we, I've had enough of our sitting midfielders. And that's why we're dragging one black bloke back on one leg. And on one leg, he was still our best player. Right, the gap is massive, absolutely massive, <clears throat> to what a functional midfield looks like. And from that square, you know, Hoiberg was Hoiberg and Sissoko, two dogs up and down, killing the half space. Nothing, nothing spectacular, but they're able to move in that system. Their strengths are magnified, and their weaknesses, attacking-wise, not necessary, because they've got Kane, they've got you know, Ndombele. Normally, but Lacelso, and they got Son, making them look good attacking wise by exceeding their numbers. And so no one's looking at them to create, no one's looking at them to score. Just smash people, smash people, make sure we don't get exposed. Right? So our midfielders, we want something else from them. Can we ask more? We want something else from them. We want them to drive at the pitch. We want them to create. We want them to fade the ball in. And more importantly, there are no relationships on the pitch. So there's no relationship between Bellerin and William. We can see that. Willian just standing on the touchline doing nothing worse than Pepe when he was at his worst. And Bellerin's doing his job and trying to defend and do that job as well as Tim alluded to earlier on. On the left-hand side, we see relationships on the left-hand side. We know with Saka and Tierney and the Bamyang when he's out there. We quite like that side. Gabriel's quite good. There's no relationships on the middle. There's no relationships on the right-hand side. We have to develop some relationships and I know it's difficult, but there was some sparks in this game. I saw some sparks in the second half which from which we can build upon. And hopefully we'll see that improve in, against Burnley. But until we have the relationships and trust between the different, the three different units, the trust in each other, I don't see it. I, I'm, I'm really concerned by it, actually. 
because we're we are disconnecting on the pitch and we're disconnecting emotionally and we're a team that when it was hot we had some relationships between Pepe and Aubameyang Aubameyang and Lacazette Daka and Aubameyang we had some relationship developing there you know and I think that's what we're missing from the end of last season and so here we are we're at the crucial point we got an inexperienced club because that's what we are at the moment. We ripped out all the people. We got inexperienced leadership. We said we had a podcast and we added that something is missing. Well, that that other person to come in to replace us, farming whatever role that's going to be. I think it's really needed because the structure looks very light. And because of that, you're focusing on the management title change because you're seeing the power being inverted into one person. And you're quite right to admit that. For me, I just don't think we're finishing any which way or form. We're not finished structurally. We're not finished buying recruitment and selling because we can't because of the COVID market. We're just incomplete and we have to carry this load of luggage around with us. It's bad. And we have to limp along and make sure that we can at least reach our potential. At the moment, we're not even reaching that. It looks really, really bad. And so in a situation where we're in a holding pattern and I generally can't see a way out of it until we develop those relationships on the pitch and at least reach our level. That may not be that exciting. That may be 8th or ninth, but that's where we should be, not 15th. You know, And that's that's a terrible indictment on the club, its recent history, and the fact that we don't quite work out who we are. We need to do what you talk about, it, rip the Band-Aid off, yeah. and really do, this prop- really do this properly. Stop half doing it because you're a little bit worried, a little bit vain. Just do it. We'll be with you if you do it. But don't give me Cedric. Don't give me Cedric and tell me you're doing something. Yeah. You put in a you put in an international kid, Maitland Niles out of the squad for a Cedric. He's and, on a holiday. And look, so, sometimes you've got a great coach in a bad situation, and so he can't thrive. And Arteta did come into a bad situation. It got worse than he expected when we realized what a cancer Raul was. That didn't help. And Sven had been gone, and you know the the data team, stat DNA guys left, and. Adu just got the job, and Vinay just got given the job, and Arteta gets promoted to manager. Nobody knows what they're doing. Nobody knows what they're doing. And so this young coach, maybe he never had a chance. The thing is, like, Jose Mourinho right now is getting plaudits. We've seen Jose Mourinho be an absolute dumpster fire. So sometimes the situation doesn't work. But the thing is, when you, whether you want to put out, point out, you know, oh, Klopp had a rough start at Liverpool or Hassan Huddle had a rough start at, at Southampton or whatever you want to point out. I mean, first of all, Klopp was top four second season. All right? But these were coaches who had a track record and knew what they were about. So you're hoping that they will reproduce successes you've seen them have before. This is a little tougher. And Tim, I can already hear it. I'm going to take it on the chin for what I'm saying on this podcast. But this is the unvarnished reality right now. We are 15th, 16th. We do have the 18th best attack. It is a season of these kind of numbers. And no FA Cup victory changes what's happening. And if you want to arrest that decline, the time is now. And I'm not, again, I'm not saying that Arteta, the coach, can't do it. But I also have a hard time with people who say, well, mate, it's the squad. Why can't you see that? When this is the guy who wanted William and wanted to play him over Pepe. Now, again, I'm not saying Pepe is some world beater, but, you know, why? Why You, you know, we made this point. So, like, I think just to, to conclude here, this is a bad day, and this was always going to be a hard game, and I'm not saying we should have gone out and won the derby. But some of the decision-making now, the rushing party back, you know, not giving certain players a chance, 
isolating other players, um, you know, sort of vacillating now between these different approaches, the, the 80, 80 some odd crosses in the last couple of games and the not scoring any goals, Aubameyang's body language and performances, like it all starts to feel like we are approaching an end game here. And I would say this, can he turn it around? He can. I have a hard time. Maybe you can think of one. So if you think of one, tell me. I'm struggling to think of a situation at a big club where a coach got to this level, this far down the table, this bad performance, this bad results, and did turn it around substantially and then went on to thrive. And if you're going to go back and point to Alex Ferguson, like, be my guest. But like, aside from that, I can't. So, uh, I mean, what's your sort of most level-headed, circumspect, attitude about how to handle this and I guess connected to that is there anyone at the club who has the vision the authority the knowledge base to even know how to handle a situation like this uh, no probably not it's it's quite it's all quite young isn't it um in the structure like Edu is comfortably the most kind of experienced one um and, and you know to be fair he does have a lot of experience in this role but it, it's definitely missing something. And I guess what you could say is that, you know, we did look, it was good that we lost Ralph Sanyehi. And I, I think of all of the things in the last, I don't know, 15 years or so that have made me angry about Arsenal. Like I accept some of the mistakes. I accept, um, you know, Sven Mislintat not working out for whatever reason. I, I accept Unai Emery not working out for whatever reason. Like I accept some of these things. And like, if I was going to put a sunny, uh, you know, serve it sunny side up as, as in a manner of speaking, I'd say, well, at least Arsenal are trying, you know, they're actually like, they're trying to do something. And, you know, they're getting rid of people who are underperforming and stuff like that. The thing that makes me angry is is bad faith actors coming into this club, like Raul Sanyehi, uh, welcoming someone like Keir Jarabchian in, who, more than an agent, um, you know, knew the club's business, was talking about the club's business in the media, and basically just, like, making a fat stack of cheese off it and lumping us with, with you know, bad contracts. And, and however responsible Arteta is for that, I, I still find it a little bit like I'm not saying I don't think Arteta wanted Willian I still find it immensely convenient um that they that he happened to want this player who um happens to have the very friendly agent uh, Tim, with, do, you, with, do you think he was like coerced a little bit yeah like, yeah yeah like this like, is how I feel it, yeah yeah I, I think it was probably put to him do you want Willian? By the way, if you want our party and Gabriel, we've got no money left and Willian's free. So if you want another attacker, it's going to have to be a freebie. And uh, look, we've got a big shiny Willian and we can do this deal really quickly. Like that, that, I think that's most likely how that went down. Now you can still question Arteta there and Arteta, you know, let's say that's true, could push back and say, nope, that's not who I want. That's, that's not, you know, I, and that's but the yeah. experience there, isn't it, Tim? That's yeah, the experience yeah. and that's and, the bit that he has to work through. Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. So, you know, as, as for, um, and and so that makes me angry that someone like Raul Sanyehi was, was, you know, yeah, like I say, a bad faith actor, someone who was not here for the betterment of Arsenal. Um, that that makes me angry, and that makes and that's that's what you know. That's one of the consequences of having distant ownership. Um, you know, there <laughs> you get people kind of doing stuff behind your back a lot easier when you're thousands of miles away and only yeah. really thinking about it once every couple of months. Um, 
but as as for how easily this turns around i i have to say earlier i i agree i don't see it which doesn't mean i think we should act now i, I don't think there's any point no no point agreed the moment mm-hmm. um but I, I yeah i have to i i feel a little bit to be honest like the last couple of weeks earlier like i say, i'm feeling all these red flags and i've been going oh you know is this pragmatism or is this desperation and as the weeks go on i'm like oh this is all a bit this looks like desperation to me but i i do feel like increasingly because i don't want to sound smart after the event right i own the fact that i wanted us to to appoint arteta i i completely own that i wanted it um, but I do feel a little bit like I'm I'm waking up from a fever dream and going, fuck, we actually gave this massive, massive, <laughs> difficult job to a guy who's never managed before. And now, like, the CEO has left, like, a few months into his reign and, like, not been replaced. Like, what the fuck did we think was going to happen? <laughs> Seriously. And, I, like, I, f- I feel a little bit like um, maybe, my, you know, again, I, I won't say we, I'll say I. Um, and everyone else can make their own decisions about about what they felt at the time. But maybe I bought into, as much as I, I tried not to, maybe I bought into the fantasy um, a bit too much. Although I, I guess I always positioned it as curiosity. I thought, mm. do you know what? Fuck it. There, there's really no one else out there. It might be fun. Let's see. And to be honest, the reality is it, it doesn't feel that fun at the moment. You know what's so silly, guys? One of the reasons you appoint a first-time young coach is the upside. You take a shot on the guy being the next prodigy. And you know you're in a bad spot. You know your club's not particularly healthy, but you got some interesting attacking players, and you say, go see what you can do. The reason you hire a young coach is you don't have to give him the keys to the castle. You don't have to make him the most powerful man at the club, and you don't have to stick with him for four or five seasons on $7 million a year. But we did the opposite. We brought him in and almost immediately gave him the keys to the castle, got rid of all the people who had authority over him, and consolidated power in him, ensuring him that he'd have the hardest path to success himself at one of the hardest times in the history of football to operate in the market. I feel for him. And you look at Unai in Spain, and I don't think much of Unai, and we were right to get rid of him. But he's gone on and he's doing okay, so Mikel Arteta is going to be a good coach somewhere. Arsenal may be an impossible place to succeed. I fully accept that. But it's not an impossible place to be better than the 18th best attack and 15th best in the table. And Arteta has to move us back up. Now, given that I think this league season is done, and assuming we stay out of a relegation scrap, which it, I think would be probably hyperbole, probably, then he can, then he should stay. He should stay for the season and see what, what he can do. And if at the end of the season we say, wow, the last four months you really saw the metrics improve, you saw the, the attack come together, you see his ideas starting to work, great. The thing that scares me, though, is he's still manager. He still doesn't have the structures above him. So then he's got to go operate in the market. And that's a whole other thing. So, gosh, I feel for him. I really, I feel for him and I feel for us watching it because the club structure is such a mess that it doesn't look poised for success. And um, yeah, I, I mean, doesn't mean we'll never win another football game, but will we ever be contending? Will, will we start going in the right direction? A lot of things have to change and it's not just down our Ted on that. Let's leave it there on that sunny note. Uh, Clive's on Twitter, Clive PFC. Thanks, Clive. Thank you very much. Uh, Tim's on Twitter, at Stoberto. Thanks, Tim. My pleasure as always. Hey, one thing I want to do, it's always good when we can support uh, Arsenal supporter-run businesses and Arsenal editor uh, does some really great Arsenal memorabilia and Arsenal products and he's got a, a really cool, fun uh, Arsenal Christmas sweater right now. It's uh, 20% off and it's uh, ships within 24 hours. So you have it for Christmas. So if you want to support an Arsenal-run business uh, and not just shave your privates, arsenaleditor.com 
uh, is the place to go, arsenaleditor.com. And I'll have a link uh, in the, the social media post to this, to the Christmasaurus sweatshirt. So always good to support those businesses. And I know Arsblog is doing a whole uh, Arsenal run business supporting project. So you can check that out as well. Um, we'll be back with a rewatch this week. If you can believe it, we will genuinely rewatch one of the halves of that game. And I think probably the first half to be fair. Um, Cause I think there's more in it. Clive, you think maybe. Oh yeah. Yeah. As long as you get me a counselor afterwards, because my well being is really struggling, but yeah, I'll be up for it, mate. Well, you need a counselor just to come on and pod and have to talk to me every day. So I appreciate that. Uh, look, this was no fun, and I know I'm going to take it on the chin for some of this stuff, but uh, I can handle it. So come give me the abuse at Yankee Gunner or just block me there. Easiest way to do it and leave these other fine gentlemen alone. But more than anything, we do love you for sharing this with us and, and being here with us and, and going through it together. Uh, I look forward to the time when we are debating which one of our 38 league wins in a season was the best. So uh, cheers to that. We love you. And we'll talk to you after Arsenal 10. Dundalk nil. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.